Welcome to Women Waken, a podcast that helps you heal spiritually from trauma in relationships, childhood, and early life conditioning to shift from a place of codependency to a state of divine feminine love, acceptance, harmony, and abundance. On Women Waken, we begin the journey to waken from the illusion of needing to prove our worth into the divine experience of knowing our worth. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I'm also a fellow human being who has faced most of the issues I discuss on this show. On today's episode, I welcome the lovely Megan Weir. Megan is an intuitive business mentor and a rapid resolution and hypnotherapist. She's also the host of the Dropped In podcast, which I had the pleasure of being a guest on. Together, Megan and I discuss our shared experience of struggling with an eating disorder for a big chunk of our lives and how we were able to reclaim our emotional, physical, and mental bodies and move into a place of healing to then go forward and share these gifts with others so that others may find their own gifts and bring them forth, which Megan would call finding your own magic and medicine, and dropping into your self-sourced power. So take a listen and enjoy. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Women Awaken podcast. Hello, Whitney. So grateful to be here with you. So excited to have you here, Megan. We had a delightful time yesterday, actually, recording for your podcast, which is Dropped In, right? The Dropped In podcast. Yep, correct. Yes. And we talked about all the things. We're actually fairly aligned in a lot of our background, which I think relates to that we both found our way to this work in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. Right? We spoke of how we both have addiction, eating disorders in our past, sense of self-defeating thoughts, low self-concept, all of those things that led us to want to inspire, encourage, and help others to heal and really step into what you call, and I love this, their magic and their medicine. Mm-hmm. Such yeah. a fabulous phrase. I just love those two concepts. So Megan, you are a intuitive business mentor and you do rapid resolution and hypnotherapy. So to get us started, why don't you just go ahead and tell us about yourself, about your work and all of that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, before I share about my work, I, I just want to preface why I got into the work that I do, because I, I'm i a firm believer in practicing what you preach and embodying what you teach. And I would never take anyone to anywhere that I haven't been myself. And so all the modalities that I'm trained in, I've actually personally experienced with my own coaches and therapists. And so uh, at a very young age, I was really dropped in. I was really connected. You know, I felt things, I knew things, I experienced things. And then something happened where I learned to really disconnect from my true essence. I disconnected from my body and I really became into the space of uh, feeling very dissociated, very disconnected, developed an eating disorder of which I had for 18 years. And in that process of trying to quote unquote get better and and heal, 
I found myself just consistently hitting these roadblocks. And I remember graduating from nursing school and my dad was like, why are you not applying for work? And I, that was kind of like where I just broke down and like, you know, the you're, you're on your knees moment. And it's just like, I can't help anyone until I help myself. And so that's kind of where I came out of the closet with the eating disorder. And then I started to kind of look at different ways to receive support. And so in that moment, when I went to my first counselor, I understand it now, but when I was my younger version of myself who felt very vulnerable about coming out of the closet, if you will, um, he actually said he couldn't help me because it was out of his scope of practice. So in my mind with the ED, I was like, oh, I'm too much. So you can imagine what that did, right? I really got into the space of just really getting out of control. He referred me to an eating disorder clinic and my case wasn't as bad as others. So then I didn't receive support there. So then it made me feel like I'm not enough. Again, spiral, spiral, spiral. So long story short, I started to look at different ways to reconnect with myself, different ways to work in the scope of healing. And so I started working with hypnotherapists, which were really, really effective. Worked with somatic therapists, which was a game changer. And then I was able to really start to work with different coaches that were trained in neurolinguistic programming and again, hypnotherapy, and I was able to get to the root and heal on that deep level. So that has kind of inspired the work that I do today because I made a vow. Like, I just remember feeling like such an alien. I felt so misaligned. I felt so disconnected, you know, coming in and out of suicidal ideation. I just really didn't know where to start, how to get help. And so I made a vow that if I were to be able to get back to my center, get back to my true essence, I call it my self-source power, uh, that I would do everything in my power to help others on their healing journey. So that's kind of inspired me to get trained in the various modalities that I'm trained in today. And this is why I do the work that I do. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Megan. That's always helpful and encouraging to hear that, how people found their way out of the darkness into the light, if you will, or even just out of, you know, the darkness into their own experience of peace and love, however that might look. Because I think for those of us who have been in the depths of some form of a disorder or addiction, it is such a bleak place. It's such a scary place because it feels like there's no hope. So when you find hope again, and you realize that everything was not lost, you want to share that message with others because you know that there are many others who are in that place. Mm -hmm. So much so. Yeah. hundred percent. So would you mind sharing a bit? Because we, so we have in common that we both struggled with an eating disorder. I struggled with, uh, with bulimia restriction, binge eating, all of that. And it is such a, um, a complex disorder right? And that it's very intricate. It's very difficult to let go of, right? And I actually, you know, I've been around it all my life because I was, my mom had anorexia from the time she was 20 and then had me in her thirties and 
has never, ever really gotten over it. And one time she told me, she said, I don't have anorexia. It has me. So I think Mm -hmm. at a certain point, these things can feel like they have a hold on us. And some people, especially with eating disorders, it through this lifetime, it it doesn't ever let go and they aren't Mm -hmm. able to release it. So what, I know you said that you found, you know, sort of these deeper modalities, but what, what in particular do you think was like that a turning point for you, for those listening who feel in that depth of, it can feel like it's, it's so we can't release it. It can feel like it's impossible to eat normal or to not have an unhealthy, destructive relationship with food and eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always think of the eating disorder and I don't call it my eating disorder because I don't identify as being a part of it any longer. So I call it the eating disorder. Um, but I always, I always envisioned it being like this ball and chain, right? And I also related it to being my best friend because it was my confidant. It was something that I could depend on. It was something that I knew was always there for me, right? And so to separate myself from that was was really hard, right? Because I really was challenged by trusting other people. I didn't trust myself. Um, but for some reason, I was able to trust this eating disorder, right? That just held me captive. Um, and growing up, I was surrounded by, like my parents were on every fad diet, like every diet, you know? And so I remember being at a very young age, like tracking my points with Weight Watchers and <laughs> and, and then, yeah, I was just so heavily influenced by the diet culture and, you know, it was just ingrained in me to be in that space of restriction, binging. Uh, and then, you know, I learned to come into the space of binging and purging with the, with the bulimia. So to move beyond it, you know, it, it's hard for me to articulate what specifically if there's one thing that worked, but I, I do think it was just me coming into the space of getting to the root, you know, my doctor put me on antidepressants and I knew intuitively and side note, being a nurse, I know there's always a time and place for medications. I'm not saying that by any means, Um, but I knew I had to get to the root of the matter because it was like, well, what's causing this depression? What's causing this anxiety? What's causing me to have this eating disorder? And so by getting to the root and not even having to relive any traumatic events, it was, I was able to start to move beyond this. So firm believer that what supported me was the subconscious reprogramming also the embodiment practices that i do so uh, yoga breath work meditation that was something that really supported me in i always say dropping into my self-source power like reconnecting myself with myself getting out of my head and into my body so and then could you tell us more what is subconscious reprogramming what is that how did you go about that was that facilitated by a professional or was that something that you did on your own like what is what does that look like yeah so subconscious reprogramming i started working with my first hypnotherapist i can't recall what year that was but that was close to 20 years ago and so she was able to support me through hypnosis in really going into that subconscious reprogramming. So utilizing hypnosis, utilizing neuro-linguistic programming. And now uh, today, what I still utilize both of those modalities, I also utilize rapid resolution therapy because you're working with a subconscious mind to really just 
get yourself unstuck to delete specific data that's been trapped in your subconscious mind and to be able to move beyond that. And that's something that you're, that you do with clients now is the rapid, what, what is it called? Rapid resolution. Rapid, yeah. Rapid resolution therapy. Okay. And so that, that is finding these, what, what is it? Finding misconceptions about ourselves, finding like beliefs that we're stuck on that are impacting us. What, what is that exactly? Yeah. So within the subconscious world, you know, 95% of our beliefs, behaviors, actions, feelings stem from our subconscious mind. And so these experiences could have been happening in this lifetime, specifically between the ages of zero and seven, that's when the imprint occurs. It could have happened uh, in past lives. It could happen, it could be passed down from generations. And so working with the subconscious mind, you don't have to relive any traumatic events, but you're able to release the beliefs that were, were kind of blocked within your subconscious mind from those specific events. Wow. So you did that is when you were early in recovery, that was the work that you did? That you the hypnotherapy, through? yes. And the NLP work, yes. I just recently found the RRT work within the last six months. And so it complements the hypnosis, the hypnotherapy and the subconscious reprogram through, excuse me, through NLP very well. Wow. Wonderful. So how do you help, you know, when someone comes to see you, do you automatically go to these forms of therapy or do you, you, you know, kind of have different ways that you work with different clients? Yeah. Uh, I, I work in different ways with each client. Every client is an individual. So primarily what I love to do is really starting from the bottom up, because if we're starting from the top, in my opinion, you know, and if someone's really disconnected from their body, how are we going to start to regulate their nervous system? How are we going to get them to be able to really hold this transformation that's about to occur? So in terms of like the bottom up approach, I do a lot of support in getting their nervous system back online. So modalities I use, I'm a Kundalini yoga teacher, so I utilize that. And in within Kundalini, there's breath work, specific postures, movements, mantras. So that really helps kind of get you back into your body. And if that's not in alignment for the client, you know, I have different breath works that I teach with people just to really support them in getting back into the body first and foremost. And while simultaneously doing that, I start to work with them in whatever they've come to receive support with, whether it's, you know, personal or professional, I support them through the subconscious work that I'm trained in. Yeah, fantastic. And that's so crucial for anybody. I mean, it's definitely helpful in trauma work to do the, that somatic work that helps people to sort of be able to ground a little bit and reconnect because a lot of post-trauma is not feeling safe in our bodies, especially mm -hmm. if something that happened to us was uh, physical, was abusive, or would you know anything that just incurred harm or hurt to ourselves, we feel that we can't feel safe and it's uncomfortable to be in your body. And that's when people will often resort to external things that feel safe, right? So kind of seeking solace, seeking shelter outside of themselves 
but then you become dependent and we want to make our house, our home. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, it also ties into an eating disorder because I never felt that I could be comfortable in my body. Right. And so I didn't know how I could just appreciate and love my body as it was. I felt like I had to constantly be pushing it or striving for it or stuffing it. Right. When you're, when you are caught up in a binge purge cycle, you know, it's like, you don't know how, well, I'll say this. I remember I had to go see a psychiatrist after, after I kind of hit bottom with my eating disorder, addiction, all this. And uh, I went to go see him and and he asked, he's like, well, what's your relationship like with your body? Cause he, I told him about some of the trauma. And I was like, I remember thinking, you know, I was like in my twenties and kind of, I was mad to be at the doctor. So I kind of had my arms folded and was kind of shut down. But I remember thinking, what do you mean my relationship with my body? Like what is, and you know, for someone who's now a therapist, <laughs> it's like, I'm surprised that ever, you know, caught me off guard, but it really did because I, for years, and many people with an eating disorder think of your body as just collateral for what you need to do to feel better, to get what you want, right? And to release anxiety, stress, insecurities, right? You're trying to contort it and twist it into how you want it to look or to stuff it or deprive it to get your emotional um, needs in balance. So asking someone or working with somebody after years of a not great, unhealthy relationship with your body is very powerful, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's really impactful to suddenly say, what do you feel just being with your body, right? How do you feel when you're asked to just sort of notice your body, be aware of your body, mm-hmm. right? Recognize that your body is just like any other living thing that needs love and attention and needs to be nourished, needs to be cared for, right? And then that, you know, there's of course, healing is a multi-layered process, but then there can come up a lot of shame and, and guilt around how we've treated our bodies, right? Especially those of us who've been in an eating disorder or an addiction where you realize if my body was like a friend, I would have been an abusive friend to that, per, you know, to this body. So it's mm-hmm. a lot to work through. And so I think it's it's so important to start with that somatic and getting back into your your body. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, when people ask, I mean, I know now, but when people ask, like, how did you stop? Because I, I had the eating disorder for 18 years. I'm 10 years free now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I never thought I could ever I would ever say that to so for those listening, if you are struggling, just know it's possible because I never thought it would be. But reflecting back now, like I remember just having that glimmer of hope from when I was a young child before events happened where I disconnected, like, thank goodness she was still a part of me because she's what led me to the yoga studio to somehow find solace within myself again. So I I am a firm believer that uh, yoga has was a huge and still is a huge piece of creating safety within myself again, because it didn't feel safe within my space. It didn't feel safe to be connected. Uh, But through the yoga and meditation, it has really allowed me to come back into my body and to really learn how to trust the language in which my body is speaking to me, right? And to utilize these 
various tools to support my body in getting back into the space of feeling regulated, right? So yeah, the embodiment work is so important and the embodiment practices is everything. And yeah, it just really allows you to get out of your head because this is where all, <laughs> this is where all the, you know, the inner turmoil begins is within our head. So um, just getting back into our bodies is such a sacred practice and it just creates this deep sense of trust within yourself again. And yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. And you mentioned being able to trust your body, I think is a big thing. And also being able to listen to your body after years of trying to drown out what your body said. Cause again, when you're in an eating disorder, you're doing everything you can to not listen to that. Your body's saying, please don't do this. Right. Mm -hmm. You're hurt. You're it's self-harm, right. When you're engaging in, you know, these disorders that are not good for your body, but we don't want to hear it. Right. Cause then we'd have to stop. And I remember feeling that way a lot where it's like, I, I need to just like keep pushing. I can't slow down long enough to actually consider what I'm doing to myself. And I think the other parts, I don't know if you felt this way, but that was really upsetting to me about an eating disorder was I felt like I couldn't trust myself. Uh, you know, I remember being in high school, my eating disorder started when I was 14 and in moments, you know, of, of calm where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a list of all the reasons why I want to stop. I'm going to, I would make a contract and I would sign it. And I would say, I will not purge again. I won't do it to myself. And I'd still do it. It was like, I was trying to find ways to keep, save myself from myself, you mm -hmm. know, because yeah. I didn't trust that I wouldn't harm myself. And then you do almost like, again, talking about being able to embody, you dissociate, right? Because oh. I, when I would relapse and go back to bulimia, I had to dissociate in order to break that contract, that agreement, like, okay, I won't self-harm, but then it was too painful to be with the feelings and emotions and trauma that I had, that I, it was like a, it was, it felt like survival. Right. And I think that's why mm -hmm. it can be so hard to let go of an eating disorder, because you also mentioned a really key point, Megan, that I always speak to my clients because I, I specialize in eating disorders with my, as a therapist. And I always remind them, I'm like, I want, I want you to recognize that there is a grieving process when you get healthy, when you decide to let go of your eating disorder, because your eating disorder was your best friend in a way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a very nice friend. It was kind of like that toxic, unhealthy friend that, you know, can be very enticing and promise you the world and, you know, tell you that they're going to make you feel so good and happy, but then turn on you. But it still was there. And it was there when it felt like no one else was there. Oh, yeah. Right because any addiction or disorder, it's a constant companion because you get to keep choosing it. And it feels like, okay, even when everybody else has let me down in the world, I can turn to this one thing that can tap into my little emotional medicine cabinet that I'm needing. Cause I don't know how to heal and resolve. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Yeah. I mean, as humans, we crave certainty, right? And so when things feel uncertain, which was the external world, it's like, well, where can I find certainty? And for me, it was always like finding that comfort and that certainty with food, which then turned into this wild ride with this eating disorder, which was the certainty piece, right? And so now it's like, okay, well, how can I find certainty amidst the uncertainty outside of food, outside of this eating disorder, right? And so that is something that I really 
got into cultivating. It's like, what other resources can I use to support myself other than what I have been doing? Because that life was horrific. It was just filled with self-sabotage and it was, you know, filled with self-hatred. And yeah, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I got ready in the dark. You know, I deleted any photo of me. Like I just, I hated everything about me, right? Um, and so learning to find these resources to support myself outside of what I once found certain has been like an ultimate game changer for me. And it is a grieving process. You are you are losing your confidant, right? It's, it's something that you knew you could depend on. It was that certainty piece. So it's yeah. very, it's, a, it's, it's, yeah, it's so, there's so many layers to it. I do find the similarity is, you know, the same sort of grief and loss you feel when you end a relationship that was not healthy and wasn't great for you, but you still miss it. You know, people might be like, are you crazy? Like that seemed miserable to be with that person. But again, you're like, yeah, but they were there for me. They were there. They told me they loved me. They gave me attention when I needed it. They were attending to my needs. We missed that person. However, letting some time go by, you can reflect and you can say, I'm so grateful that they're not in my life anymore. And for me, that's how I felt about my eating disorder and my addictions was for a while I had rose colored glasses at times. And I'd be like, God, I wish I could just, you know, just go back to that and have some relief. Right. Mm -hmm. But then eventually you don't need the relief because you're not suffering as much. And that kind of brings us into the healing component where it is kind of intangible to say, how are we finally able to let go of an eating disorder? Um, but I feel like I always use the analogy that it's sort of like, it's, whatever was causing this us to, cause it doesn't come from nowhere. That's also what I always tell my clients is it's so important not to judge yourself. Cause I judge myself, right? I was like, am I insane? Like, why do I do these things? Why do I, I can eat for four hours straight, hundreds of thousands of calories, however many tens of thousands. And per, that's, that's not rational. You know, I thought I was crazy, but because it's not a natural behavior, it's showing that there's something unnatural occurring within you that's leading you to do this. Right. So it's, and if we hold on to that judgment that perpetuates the cycle of the disorder, because that builds more shame, but when we're able to see it for what it was, which was just, again, a means to try and soothe a very hurt system, Mm -hmm. right. A very system that was very anxious and uncomfortable. We can see that we were doing the best we could, but then we have others, we have healers, we have teachers, we have therapists, coaches, guides who can show us there's another way to get your needs met. You mm-hmm. can heal what's actually causing this. Right. And so I, I'm going to use the analogy that it's like, there used to be this big giant ball of insecurity and fear and false beliefs and all these things that were fueling this behavior. And as I started to get therapy. And as I started to do my healing work, and as I started to connect with the idea that I'm not just how I'm perceived or how I look or how I show up in the world, I'm much more than that. Mm-hmm. That big giant ball started to shrink down until I no longer, it just sort of extinguished the desire to seek out destructive means of soothing myself. Mm-hmm. So much so. Yeah, so much so. And I, and I think in terms of when you're speaking about these emotions and feelings, like as a society, we aren't taught how to process these big emotions. You know, mm-hmm. we are growing and evolving over time. However, like if a child's on the playground and they fall and hurt themselves, first thing someone's going to say is, 
and they start crying. Oh, don't cry. You're okay. You're okay. It's like, no, like allow the child to express themselves, allow the child to express what they're feeling, you know? And as a society, we're like constantly just trying to make things better, make things better. Don't feel right. And so if you've had experiences that have created like fears, anxieties, insecurities, and we aren't taught how to express that, you know, we suppress it. And I always look at what the eating disorder was just like, I'm suppressing everything. And then like, as I purge, it was like, I'm releasing it. Right. And so now learning how to actually feel all these feelings is just like, at first is super overwhelming because it's like, I don't know what this feeling is. Like, yes. what is this? This feels so foreign. And if something feels foreign and feels uncertain, again, we're going to go to something that creates certainty. Right. And so it's so, it's so important to really just honor what you're feeling, express what you're feeling, use whatever modalities to really support yourself in that space, whatever it might be that you're experiencing. Um, but yeah, I remember like my dad was very angry. And so I learned, I equated as anger being a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so I remember finding Kundalini yoga and I was like, all of a sudden I was just enraged. I was like, so angry. I'm like, what is this? Like, I have no idea what this is, but I just had suppressed it for so long. And so to be able to have a channel like Kundalini to just release and not have to re-experience anything is so profound. I mean, Kundalini is like, it works somatically, right? So it's such a powerful practice, but finding a channel, a way to really release these emotions that we've been suppressing throughout the years is, is a huge, huge game changer. Yes, absolutely. And letting all those emotions come out without judgment, right? And just without, you know, trying to fight it or stifle it. Because again, like you said, when we let go of our crutch of our addictions or disorders, we're like a raw nerve. We're, we're like a, you know, something that's being thawed out and finally feeling something that we had been numb to for a long time, or that we'd use things to numb it out. And it's incredibly uncomfortable. And I remember thinking like, how the heck am I supposed to sit with this without a drink, without turning to something that's like, oh, I need this, that, or the other thing. I just had to sit with it. And it's, it can be brutal, but it's so important. And I still go through that because it's human nature to have experiences and have a reaction to it and then need to express, you know, your, however you're feeling. But I think also, you know, when you've spent a lot of um, time in that space of avoidance and just stifling and stuffing down your feelings, um, anger is a normal thing because you're going to have these frustrations that you weren't allowed to have. And I actually just did a solo episode on the value and importance of anger because we are told that anger is bad, right? Oh, that person's super angry. They're unruly and they're, they're rude or whatever, but anger is a natural response to feeling overwhelmed, to feeling, you know, it's just like a kettle that like you, it boils, 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 and it has to get, you have to blow off your steam, mm -hmm. right? And part of the healing process is to be able to say out loud, I was so mad that this happened. Mm -hmm. I was so angry. And because again, just as you're saying, when we're young, we're told, oh, get over it. You know, who do you think you are? Who are you to be disappointed? You're so privileged. You have this, you have that. What are you complaining about? And that may be true that we, you know, you can have so many gifts in your life, but that doesn't take away your feeling, right? Especially as a child or at, in younger years, you feel like, well, why did this happen? Or why didn't this happen for me? And we have a right to be able to feel that feeling and not like step it down and say, oh, I guess I'm not allowed to feel that way. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And then we invalidate it. And that's what builds these coping skills. Cause we're trying to push, push, push a natural process, which is, again, we have an experience. We're trying to make sense of it, process it, and then we can release it. But if we, it's like having all this in this data input, but it just keeps building up, building up because we're not given the tools of how to properly process it and to not make misconceptions around it. Mm-hmm. That's also a lot, a big part of disorders is we say, oh, so this happened to me. Well, then I'm bad. Oh, this happened to me. Well, then I'm no good. Oh, this happened to me. Well, I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. And rather than being able to, to right away say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that true? Maybe not true. Maybe not true that just because this horrific thing happened to me, that there's anything wrong with me, mm-hmm. that I'm no longer lovable, that I'm not like everybody else, that I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. We're not really shown how to do that. We're again, like you said, a lot of us are told like, just move on. Just sorry that happened, but brush it off and walk on, let it go, let it go. And we can let it go, but it, you know, it's like that, the book, the body keeps score. Cause mm-hmm. especially if it's a traumatic event, it's, it's lived, our body incurred the trauma as well. You yes. know, our mind incurred the trauma and our, an emotion all on all three levels it's incurred. And if we don't deal with it, we will suffer from it. Mm-hmm. Right. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, and that's why it- in my opinion, somatic work is so important to release the trauma that your body's been holding on to as a form of protection throughout the years, right? Yeah. But you can release these events and experiences without having to relive them. Yes. I, I don't find it effective to rehash this trauma <laughs> to heal through it. I don't, I don't see how effective that can be when these past events and experiences have, have occurred and they've created these behaviors, right? And so let's get to the root level and heal it without having to relive it, re-experience it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that at a certain point, it is more at the the physical level where we're just trying to release it. But I will say that I find that as a therapist, I think there is power for those who have have never been able to ever speak to what (laughs) might've happened to them or what they might feel. And that to me, that's like the key, but I, you know, and I have heard that there's studies done that there's a certain, there's a level, right? Like you can unlock it by first speaking to it. But when we continue to just keep repeating to ourselves, like, this is what happened to me. This is what it it no longer is a value. It's more of our detriment because it just keeps us in the mentality. Just as you said that I no longer, longer choose to call it my disorder. I call it the disorder, right? Words are powerful. It, it, cements how we consider something or feel about something, right? So if you keep stating, I was a victim of this, we're kind of keeping that mentality. And so, I mean, I think that's, it's everyone's preference and on how they heal. But, you know, I think that the way that we perceive of something or the way that we continue to tell a story is powerful in terms of being able to free ourselves. Yes, 100%. My friend, Marsha, always speaks about that. She's a storytelling coach. And she always invites the person to really share like being on the story as opposed to being in the story, right? Because when we're in the story, we really get stuck. It's like, it becomes our identity. It really keeps us in this place of, I don't like the word victim, but in that energy, right? And so when we can learn to be on our story, to stand on our story, it just allows you to be in this empowered place, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I, that's something I'm still working on because when it is, when you are trying, cause you do want to let others know that you know how they feel, right. That you've been there, but it's like, how do I change that wording to not make it sound like, I remember telling a coach once that I was like, I was bullied. I was bullied. And she's like, do you want to keep saying that? Is that the story you want to keep telling? And I was like, well, but I want to, people to know that I, that's what I experienced. So we were kind of looking for different ways to phrase that rather than I was bullied. It could be like, there was bullying in my story or something like that. That just doesn't. Cause when I, I notice that when I do sometimes share my experience, I get reactivated with mm -hmm. frustration and the same feelings I used to get. So yeah, there's a lot there, but you know, it is, it is powerful about how we decide to shift and own our narrative and our presentation of our story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. So true. I remember um, coming out of the closet <laughs> with the in disorder and I remember having like really like a really close friend asked like, why are you talking about it? Like, why are you telling people? Why, why are you talking about it? And it's so important to talk about it, like in, in terms of the storytelling, because not only does it take the charge away from it and the shame away from it, but it also invites the healing in for you, but also for other people that perhaps they're suffering in silence that you can give them hope, right? So I love that we are able to share, like we are sharing being on our story, right? Rather right. than being in it. Yeah. And it shares this message of hope for people. Um, but yeah, I remember like feeling so ashamed at first when I started talking, obviously. I held so much shame, but even like from friends, I'm like, well, why? Like I need to, I need to talk about this. I need to get the charge away. I can't, I can't continue to, give this eating disorder all the power that I've been giving it throughout the years. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Megan, once we are kind of at this place where we have really identified what's going on, we have begun to heal. And then we're starting to recognize that, you know, maybe there's more to me than just my past, my trauma, my perceived misfortunes that maybe it's really time for me to, as you talk about, activate my full potential and drop into my own self-source power. Because, you know, the way I see it, it feels like the human condition has become that we, from the time we're born, we're, we're often most aware of our what perceived deficits and lack and, you know, that which makes us not good enough, not worthy. But once we see that that's an illusion and we can shift our perspective and that we can look at the things that really did impact us because traumatic events are real. And that kind of experience does create a certain result. However, it's possible to recognize that that doesn't change who I am. And then you tap into your power. So once you're able to do that, then like you said, the magic, your mm -hmm. own medicine, you're your own greatest healer. You're your own biggest magician that can create the life that you want. How do you help your clients do that? What are some things that you do with them when you can see that they're ready to really start to see their potential rather then stay stuck on the perceived lack. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, really it's like learning to turn off the external noise and learning to tune into the inner voice, right? And so through that is really because as a society, we are taught to go outside of ourselves for the answer, right? We are taught to, you know, learn more. I mean, we're in the age of Aquarius. so this is the age of information and i call it the age of information overload because everything is available within milliseconds especially with artificial intelligence right so 
really learning to turn off all of this noise that's going on outside of you, whether it's from past events, experiences, or information, or people telling you how to do it, when to do it, you shouldn't do it, or you should do it. It's just like reconnecting with your truth, right? Reconnecting with your center. And so we do this through all the modalities that I'm trained in, anywhere from like the breath work, the kundalini, the meditation, to the um, subconscious reprogramming. There's so many different layers that I, I support people with in returning home to their true essence, but really it's just learning to reconnect with self, reconnect with source. And from that place, it's just like, who am I really and why am I here? You know, really connecting to not what my parents wanted me to do, what's, what society is telling me to do, but it's just like, when you take that time to be with yourself and to cultivate that sense of self-trust and to really start to listen to the beautiful whispers that are coming through, that's when you can really get reconnected to like your purpose and, and why you are here and what your message is, what your magic is, what your medicine is, and the beautiful ripple effect that you are here to co-create through sharing this with the world. Yes. Absolutely. And what came to mind as you're describing that, Megan, is that we keep ourselves preoccupied with so many distractions, right? Mm -hmm. Different things, which again, all this messaging of like, well, I don't have enough of this and I, this and that. And so we, we get fixated. And again, I feel like that's what an addiction is or a disorder. It's like, you're like, Ooh, this is going to help me get what I think I need. I can just, and, and one last thing about eating disorders is I always would say that an eating disorder can become like your full-time job. It can take up any empty space you had. And to your point, our gifts come forward in the void, in the empty space. When we give ourselves the chance to let go of these unnecessary preoccupations of the fixations that we've decided we need to know who we are, when you release those and you can just be with yourself as you are, those gifts start to come up and become your power your ability, who you really are starts to come forward, which is a being of infinite potential that's creating their own reality all the time. So we're welcome mm -hmm. to create a reality of distortion that we're not good enough. And we need to, you know, have this disorder that we need to hold on to, or we can say, well, if I can release that, what's, what's there, right? What's my true potential. And so that's beautiful that you work with people and being able to be with that, to say, okay, you know, start to notice where are you keeping yourself preoccupied with thoughts that may even be leading you to think that you are powerless and that you don't have your own gifts. Cause another big thing with, you know, the age of Aquarius in this time and so much information being accessible is we could spend our whole lives comparing ourselves to others and saying like, well, why, what's even the point? Everyone else is already saying everything. Everybody else is already people. So many people are successful. Like there's no place for me, but when you see the bigger picture, which is that we're all a piece of an infinite expression of the universe, there is no peace of the puzzle. There's no piece of, I like to call it a mosaic that isn't of infinite value and that we is needed. We're all needed here. There's not a single individual. We wouldn't be here, right? We would yeah. not be here if there was not a profound point for our placement here. Yeah. So true. Yeah. You have your own unique soul signature and, and you are your magic. You are your medicine and no one is like you. Right. And so, yes, maybe other people are doing what you aspire to do, but they can't do it the way that you do. Right. And that is what's so profound about really just staying true to you and trusting you and really putting on the blinders, turning off the noise 
and really trusting your soul's guidance, right? Yes. And the amazing thing about that is that that's when we get, get to start having a good time with this whole life thing, right? We get to move out mm -hmm. of the misery and the darkness of these disorders and addictions that we got riled into because we believe that we needed that. And we get to say, wait a minute, this is actually pretty cool. I get my own brand of magic that I can bring to the world. And we can start co-creating from a place of abundance rather than, because a lot of the co-creation we do now is out of lack where it's like, we're fighting who can climb their way to the top. But when we start working in unison, because we see that there is no need to compete because just as you said, you offer something completely different from me. So we're, let's go together. Let's not try to fight for who can we go together. So beautiful message. Your work is so beautiful, Megan. I appreciate you very much. Thank you for being on the show and Megan, you have the dropped in podcast, fabulous show. So thankful to be a guest on it. How can people find your podcast? How can they find you if they'd like to work with you or learn more about you? Mm, yes. Well, thank you first and foremost for having me. It's just been such a beautiful gift to be in your presence. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram at the Megan Weir. Uh, my website is megan-weir.com. Um, and of course, my dropped in podcast is on YouTube, as well as all the other platforms that's available out there. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much, Megan, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your gifts. And I hope you have fun with them. Thank you. Take care. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to Women Waken. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and come back for more. If you'd like to connect with the Women Waken community, you can find us on Instagram at Women Waken. And if you follow Women Waken, you can get a free tarot card reading if you just send a DM. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your unique light shine into this world.